and welcome back to another installment of the Market Leaders Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Paul Ward, who is the Client Innovation Officer at Holland & Hart. He is, as far as I'm aware, the only person in our industry that has the title of Client Innovation Officer at a law firm. He also plays a key role in the firm's innovation and productization initiatives, more on that later, as well as the topic that's near and dear to his heart, technology. He has worked in and out of law for more than 20 years. He started off at Oric as their first CMO. He's also the founder of Law.com. And for 15 years or so, he had an acting CMO practice. Paul, it's great to have you with us. Great to be here, David. Tell me a little bit about Holland and & Hart and maybe your background leading into it. Sure. So as you mentioned, I was doing sort of the, uh, the outsource CMO model for many years, uh, not just CMO, but different components in law firms, whether it was to try to get a new product or a new practice started. I found that, you know, marketing is almost perpetually broken in law firms. So it was sort of a niche that I could fill while I was raising my kids. And uh, there was always one firm or more that needed something in marketing or business development that I could offer. So that was a great business that I had. Holland and Hart became a client in 2012. And I just sort of fell in love with what I found at Holland & Hart was just a real high level of lawyers across the board where we could actually be competing with big national or international firms and in a footprint that is just amazing, you know, from from Aspen to Lake Tahoe, from Jackson Hole to Las Vegas. And it's just an amazing uh, footprint. So it's been a really, really fun place to be the last four years. Very good. Tell me a little bit about your perspective on the role you think technology is playing in our industry. And then maybe we can talk a little bit after that about how you've started to apply that within uh, initiatives at Holland & Hart. But first, industry. Sure. Well, I think it's been a very interesting ride for me. As you mentioned, I started at Oric, and I remember getting on the bus, going home at night or getting on BART at the very beginning of Silicon Valley going crazy and just being torn up by how the contrast between, you know, lawyers fighting over whether email was a thing or not, and then reading about these tech titans in Silicon Valley. And I just became determined that that no matter how much I got involved in law, I would not fall behind on tech because it was just part of the culture I grew up in. And and Oric at the time was a leader. I mean, they let me be CMO while I was developing law.com. And then in law.com, we could just see as the internet was starting in the, in the mid to late 90s, all the transformational power it would have. You know, back in those early days, um, online CLE was just a vision. The legal zooms of the world and automated document assembly was just a vision. And then I went on to get involved in a tech incubator where we invested in some of these technologies. And I just became absolutely convinced that tech and the law were going to end up being married in a way that was not easy to envision. And I think it just continues to be more and more from, you know, how we touch our clients, how we build our databases, how we rationalize decisions, everything from laterals to uh, markets to pursue, so much more data-driven now than it used to be. Um, How do you program your website? What industry groups do you focus on? Technology is driving all of those things. And I think we're really just getting started. We're still lagging in the industry, but it really is a technology business that delivers legal services, in my view. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I know that to hold that view at any firm, you really have to be a change agent. You have to be willing to be the person who 
says in the early days, no, no, email's going to be a thing, uh, <laughs> as you point out. So what techniques do you find to be most effective when being that voice of change and initiating change at the law firm? Well, I think we've been aided a lot, David, by data. I mean, the, the way that our department just took off was uh, several years ago, somebody was doing a pitch and the BD team had, had used a bunch of data to explain to the partner why a particular potential client was probably doing the deal that they were trying to do. The partner went into the pitch armed with just this really amazing insight that none of his or her competitors had. And we won the deal and then sort of started the ball rolling with the credibility. I think the other thing is that it's very, very hard to do anything from top down. I mean, we really had a problem in the firm of you know training our newbie lawyers on practice development. And so we we were able to get uh, practice boomers integrated on a small scale for our younger lawyers, and you know everybody was copacetic with that. But then, uh, as more people became aware of what it could do, I mean, I had one of my biggest rainmakers say, you know, time management, sign me up, I want that module, you know. And and I think that's that has been, I think, uh, you know, understanding the nature of law firms that they are not top down things. They're not corporations where initiatives can be driven. They are places where you you know you go, you find the target market. It's a lot like developing software. You know, you do it in sort of a lean uh, development. You try it out with one group, you redefine it, you try it with another group. Word spreads, and that's how you build credibility. And before you know it, then you have a constituency that can help drive change. Sure. You know, one of the things that I think we as an industry have on the horizon as our next challenge is productization and really making that effective. And one of the reasons for that is that there isn't enough data. You know, productization is really us saying, okay, well, we're in the service industry, even though you said earlier it's technology uh, driving legal services. But I think the the paradigm that people, especially the lawyers, exist in is I'm here to provide a service. I'm here to be an advisor. And to come to lawyers with the concept that, yes, and we're going to package that and make it into a product so that it's more than just a service uh, is a fairly new concept. And there isn't enough data out there to suggest that this is going to be a, a foolproof move. And yet I know that you've done some productizing at Holland Hart. So really curious to hear your thoughts on how those puzzle pieces fit together and what kind of work you've been able to do so far at the firm. Well, that's a, that's a really good question. And you're right. It is, it is based on data. And I think it kind of goes back to, you know, how software uh, is developed. I don't mean to keep drawing these tech analogies, but but it really is a perfect one because, you know, when I ran a tech incubator years ago, you know, you would you have a concept, you hire a bunch of developers, you sink a bunch of money and time in uh, to what you think the market wants, and then you know you either got lucky or you didn't, and it you know that it didn't work so well for everyone. And um, I think in the legal business, like you said, as service providers, a lot of times there's a mentality that, you know, we know what the buyer wants, we'll invent this, and then, and then, um, then that works against innovation because uh, we think we know how much uh, work would be required to offer a product that we think they want, and we balk at that because it takes so much time. I've had a couple of really good opportunities at smaller firms, one that developed an outsourcing consultancy, which was not legal related at all, but they would go in to big corporations and uh, work on business process outsourcing. And then the reason the law firm was interested in that is because it threw off a whole bunch of legal needs 
uh, anywhere from M&A to licensing to IP protection, et cetera. And so in productizing that uh, consulting offering, you know, understood that, you know, you, you do it sort of a little bit at a time and you get you know, one product that works uh, that a buyer will buy. And the willing buyer is like a, an extremely powerful tool in adoption. Uh, I had another client that had a, uh, an e-discovery uh, business, which was basically, sounds archaic now, but it was basically contract document review where they were managing a document review team and ended up you know, turning that into a multi-million dollar business uh, by productizing the offering. At Holland and Hart, we're doing some interesting things, uh, some of which are still proprietary, but but it kind of comes down to sort of co-developing with the client a solution that um, both parties agree will work, and then trying it out on a small scale and then continuing to improve it once it works. A great example is an app we're developing where we have a client that is already very tech-savvy and uh, this app is going to enable them to get to some of their legal compliance uh, information uh, a lot faster, be able to uh, interact with lawyers a lot better. And it so happens that they have a lot of apps that they've already developed. And so we just showed them a prototype of what the interaction between our two entities could look like and then asked them to come with us along the journey of developing the prototype and they loved it and they're using it and it's working and and that's the biggest difference in terms of productization if you go to a lawyer who's been billing by the hour for 25 years or 30 years and you suddenly tell them that we're now going to put it in a box and price it like 9.99 and you know put it on the shelf or deliver it through Amazon Prime you know they're not going to get it they're going to resist and they're really concerned about it i mean i think that the large scale productization is probably going to be difficult just because there's so many ways that lawyers differ in their delivery of service. But I think firm-wide productization and brand-wide productization is, is clearly going to happen. But it's the same process. Start with a willing buyer and adapt to their needs. And then you find that the next buyer, you've solved 80% of their problem because you've developed it with a buyer. Then you solve for theirs. And then suddenly, You've got something that's 80 to 90% pretty well-rounded, and I'm sure you experience this with, with practice boomers that you, you, know, you started with a concept, you tried it out with a few firms, there were some changes and, and things that they wanted different, you incorporated those, and each time you refine it more, but then it, you know, it, it starts to feel like a product. I don't know what you're talking about. Practice boomers came out of the box perfectly, version <laughs> 1.0. <laughs> nice job. We got a right, spot for yeah, you on yeah. this team right here. No, I'll I'll tell you a secret. We actually launched the product back in 2010 before it was done. We only had about half the curriculum built and, you know, we had to sort of get a lot of feedback from early firms to figure out how we were going to really ultimately have the product that we wanted to bring to market, but it's actually what you're talking about. You know, you sort of pilot it with the the first early adopters and they end up being a lot of the focus group that you use to figure out exactly what the end product will look like. And then once you've done this at Holland & Hart with your products, is this something that you then sell to your existing client base? Or have you even found that, oh, look, here's another client base that we weren't necessarily going after, but that we could take this product as a separate service line or, or a separate product line from what we already have on the menu? Yeah, we have experienced that a little bit. There are so many components of the law 
where, you know, the facts are different or the regulatory bodies change, but the process flow, the information flow are similar. So, yeah, we are finding that, you know, there's scalability with whatever you develop. The interesting place we find ourselves in, I think, David, is that things are moving really, really fast. I think one of the biggest challenges is to just have a mentality of continual innovation because you can develop something that even as uh, uh, progressive as it might sound for a law firm to do, um, it can be out of date pretty quickly. So the key part is to develop an innovation process and and to, to develop a commitment and the right personnel who understand that things can change, you know, because what, what might make sense now doesn't make sense later. And I'm not speaking about Holland and Hart now, but what I have observed is when client extranets were a thing, right? Well, a client extranet is cool, but a client dashboard is much cooler. A firm portal is a thing, but a partner dashboard is much cool. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, to continue to be able to adapt. And that is a big challenge for law firms. They're not built that way. They're not financed that way. They're not structured that way. So how to make those things happen within a firm. It's one of the things I love about Holland and Hart is, you know, that sort of mentality that they've had ever since, you know, it's our 70th anniversary. And I don't mean to get corny here, but I mean, the guy, Steve Hart, you know, walked out of the office of a big downtown Denver law firm and said, heck with this. I don't want to be in big law. I'm going to start my own type of firm, you know, and that, you know, we'll do it the way they did it on the West and we'll, you know, we'll just keep innovating until we get it right. I mean, I, you kind of have to have that spirit and sometimes law firms can be too sophisticated for their own good. Productization can sound like a dirty word or a, a, a sullying of, you know, the practice. And I think it takes a great mind to see it as sort of the next generation of the delivery of services where the intellect and the incredible judgment that lawyers offer is not only preserved, but it's enhanced by infusing it with technology. And I think something else that you alluded to there, you really do need a team who's going to spearhead this because productization, innovation, these are not things you can kind of squeeze in between the the busy whirlwind of day-to-day operations, right? You've got to have a dedicated incubator, think tank, whatever you want to call it, within the organization that really is looking at, okay, how do we drive these products? How do we test them? How do we pilot them? How do we develop them to the point where they're ready for prime time? It seems like this next question that I was going to ask you is almost rhetorical because it talks about ROI. It's hard to tie business development initiatives to ROI, as you well know, and it's hard to certainly hard to tie Marcom to ROI. I mean, we can generate some metrics in terms of website hits, and we can put together a, a funnel of sorts with our inbound marketing. But at the end of the day, you know, the lunch that lawyer A had with prospect B may not amount into anything that we can measure ever. So we know that there is that disconnect often when it comes to ROI in this space. But given that we're talking about technology and given that we're talking about productization, I think that that starts to turn this around a bit. And, you know, you really can point to, look, we invested X into this particular product and we're selling it at this price point. We sold 200 of them. Do the math. It's in the black, right? I mean, I think there's an easier argument to be made for ROI once you move into technology and especially productization. Correct me if I'm wrong. What do you think? 
No, I think that there is. I don't stammer at all at that question, and I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, one of the things about Holland and Hart is that they really do sort of encourage you know, team business development. It's not a eat what you kill shop. It's not an origination credit type shop. And so I, I think people are just sort of prone to look at the totality of effort. I mean, obviously, if I don't have amazing lawyers doing amazing work, it doesn't matter how good the marketing is. But your point is really well taken. I think things are just evolving. Like we just launched a brand new website on, on January 17th of this year. And I actually had partners stop me in the hallway saying, actually, for the first time ever, I got a cold call off our website. You know, they yeah. found the services we offer and they understood that that's what they needed. And because the website was easy to navigate and there was great information. I do think that, you know, information is such a huge tool because it can point to where things start. Now, had those people had calls with lawyers who weren't as amazing as our lawyers and they hadn't transformed into the business, then it wouldn't really matter that they found our website. So, you know, I I hesitate to to ever claim credit for ROI, but I do think um, the other thing that's changing, I think, a lot is just what is a marketing mix? We just did a massive campaign in Salt Lake because Salt Lake, Utah, celebrates Pioneer Day. And our slogan is Pioneering Innovation. And our 70th anniversary was on the the first of the month. So all throughout July, we've been running this Pioneering Innovation campaign where we've called out clients who are pioneering innovators, uh, spoke sponsored a spot on local television where those innovators were featured, ran a Twitter campaign, ran billboards in Utah County, which is a big tech hub. And the ROI is, you know, how delighted our clients were that they were featured on television. The ROI was, you know, our clients calling and saying, I just saw your law firm on an electronic billboard. So I think that the mix is very client targeted, and that's what technology can do. It's like, I'm not just blasting uh, alerts out into the sky. I know exactly who cares about my alerts, and those are the people that we're engaging with. So I think client engagement will continue to get even more sophisticated as marketing technology gets more sophisticated. And then you really can do ROI because we know uh, who read things, who opened things, who responded to things. And when we do something that uh, is client delight focused, such as pioneering innovation campaign, we know if the client was delighted or not. And then business development, but we, you know, we track uh, rigorously our involvement in efforts to pitch and our involvement in, in providing data. And again, there's no sale without the secret sauce, which is a lawyer's abilities and a lawyer's personality and a group of lawyers' personality and their, their ability to do work that people need done. But I do think that we're very fortunate that it gets acknowledged the extra effort to understand what the client's needs are, what the client's position is, and contextualize the pitches and to find new opportunities for pitches. So, yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic about the ROI game. And as you mentioned, the more productized you get, you know, once you're selling a product, you know, ROI is sales, right? So that's going to be a lot easier. Sure. I'm curious to hear where you think we're headed from here. What's on the horizon for you, for the firm? maybe even for the industry in the next six months? So I think, you know, we'll continue to hear a a lot of hype about things like artificial intelligence. Sometimes it's the firms that are 
making the least amount of noise that are actually doing the most incredible things, especially as the demand curve remains flat. I mean, they're just going to continue to be voracious need for more creative ways to deliver service. There's going to be, you know, I think blockchain is going to be something that's going to be very interesting. Not in the next six months, I don't think, but but over time, blockchain will be very interesting. I think that, you know, cybersecurity is just such an important, important thing for firms that it will be interesting to see how firms adapt to that over the next you know, six months to six years. But I, I think that all of those areas are really exciting and, you know, and a lot of potential big changes. But I think recruiting for the kind of technological talent that law firms will require over the next five to 10 years would be a good area. And we're going to be in competition, you know, with, with some of the big companies to get the right kind of talent. Sure. There's there's so much there to unpack. We'd have to do a whole other podcast. <laughs> I think, you know, that. So much, you're right, on the horizon that that we will start to see as a ripple effect to the things that we are currently uh, experiencing early days on. So you and I will have to schedule another podcast in like a a year. (laughs) That that would be great. And I think the interesting thing about it is, as you know, because you you span so many industries and, and are so aware of things outside of laws, like... I, we're not alone. The, the the reason why I'm convinced that we are in the middle of a disruption and that we will this time, someone wrote in uh, in AMLA, you know, we're not dancing around it this time, is because the whole economy, all of commerce is in the middle of it. It's not just us. And as service providers to the economy, it's just unfathomable that we're not going to change too. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, I, I look forward to uh, riding this wave with you, Paul. Thank you for your time today, your insights. You're listening to Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert with Paul Ward. Paul, appreciate your time today. Oh, great job, and, and thank you. And I'm very lucky to be uh, where I am. So thank you.